0: Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. This is Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori.
1: How's my mic?
0: Oh, I think it sounds better. Hey, Tori, are you in a closet?
1: I am all the way in the closet. The door (laughs) is even closed.
0: door closed oh. i know
1: i'm in here with a bunch of my vintage clothing
0: oh wow oh that's yeah, pretty cool. yeah so can you hear what's going on in your house no because you're in the in the closet You no i
1: have the noise canceling headphones on so i can't hear right now oh that's nice yeah
0: i can't hear the mayhem happening in my house you know as you know i live with men actually boys who love to play video games And they're very noisy, so I have to go and hide in my office um, and make sure that the door is closed. Because I feel like you can hear them everywhere, and they get very obnoxious, and they start screaming and yelling. And yesterday, there was an incident where my little guy was really upset because someone was being mean to him on roblox curse you roblox and he was telling me his master plan about what he was gonna say to get back at the bully and i told him hey we rise when we lift others up and you don't know what that kid's going through and so you have to rise above and uh i don't know if he's gonna do that but i would like to think that he is the kind of guy that lifts other people up.
1: So that's a good.
0: Are, yeah. Those are the best kind mom. of people, right? But those are the best kind of people, the people that bring other people up, right?
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think sometimes that can be difficult if you're facing your own challenges to um, be able to lift people up, right?
0: Tori, when kids are mean to your kid, like, how do you, what do you do?
1: I take the same approach that you do. Um, I, I, I really like the language that you were using about not knowing what that person is going through. I have to remind myself about that sometimes too. If someone comes at me with an attitude, um, I have to go, "Hey, it's not about me." I think that that is is an issue in our society, right? That we tend to make things about us <laughs> instead yeah. of making it about the other person. And so I do try to be mindful of that. I know I'm not always successful. Oh my gosh, I'm making it about me. See, do you hear that?
0: (laughs) It's supposed to be about you. This is your time. (laughs)
1: Well, um, and teaching that to the younger generation it is has an even, a bigger layer right now, I think, because of technology, right? Yeah. Because we are constantly having to look at ourselves. Definitely
0: so, in this Zoom world where we are literally always looking at ourselves. You know,
1: I was really glad that Zoom added that feature where you can hide self-view. So you can do that now so that you don't have to watch yourself, which, which I think is great. But, but you know, at least when I can see myself out of the corner of my eye, I know whether or not I'm sitting there with my mouth open, like I'm about to catch flies or something. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: I do, but who cares? You know, I don't know. I'm getting older in life, Tori, and I'm just thinking, I'm really, I I definitely feel like I have a birthday coming up and just, I'm just really getting... To this point in life, where I just do not care about certain things, uh, whereas ten years ago I really used to be—I feel like I was a people pleaser and you know just wanted to help out as much as I could at the expense of my own sanity. And I'm just getting to the point now where I'm like, no, but yeah, there's certain things and like how I look for the most part. I don't know, maybe that's just like because we're in a pandemic and I haven't had the desire to wear nice shoes for a long time. So I'm let. I don't know, things will probably change when we get back in the world, but I really, I really just, I've let myself go. <laughs> I don't seem to care anymore.
1: No, you look fabulous. I love the haircut. It's fantastic. It, it's very flattering and you seem very happy and, well, uh, thank you. Yeah. You know. I am beyond excited to have our guest on today, because she is someone that I've known for a long time. Um, she is a
2: <laughs> Sorry. This sucks. This oh, is like the sorry. worst introduction. <laughs> no, wait. Let me
1: start over. Wait. I love Actually, it's the best. She is a no, wait.
2: And we're going to talk about ellipses today. I think it's like really a punctuation that people
1: (laughs) don't know what that means. Listen, I wanted to introduce all of your achievements, but then I got stuck on. I've known her for a long time. Okay, so our guest today has been successfully sneaking creativity into Fortune 500 companies, tech conferences, TED talks, arts organizations marketing conventions and innovation summits to spark small to gigantic cultural revolutions i'm reading Uh, this right off of your website by the way i can tell i wrote (laughs) wrote it (laughs) our guest has had two best-selling books um one is called my one night stand with cancer. And the other is Creative Trespassing, which um, we will give you the information at the end of the show, along with a link to her website, so that you can check it out for yourself. Um, If you're ready to spark some creativity into your life and your workspace, then this is the person to inspire you. Um, And she's also an accomplished playwright. And her name is Tanya Katan. <laughs> Welcome! Thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are so excited to have you here today. I had, you know, I mean, I've known you for a long time, right? When we met in a playwriting class at Arizona State University, um, but I recently took one of your Zoom workshops. And it was fantastic. Um, And and I've been talking to Mabel about you for a long time. You two share a love of creative constraints. (laughs) So welcome, Tanya. Thank you, Tori and Mabel. What the fudge? (laughs) This is so exciting.
2: Yeah, true story. And in fact, Tori, I don't know if you remember this or um, made the connection, but the first chapter in my business book, Creative Trespassing, is about our playwriting class.
1: Oh yes. Uh
2: huh. That's right. I managed to sneak a book, uh, all theater and playwriting, into a business book by Penguin Random House. I love that. Yeah, so it, it was all about like the cool, you were a cool graduate student and I was a nerdy undergraduate who looked a lot like Susie Ramond um, if I was a golf playing <laughs> lesbian. I was like super like uptight Whitey Leslie, and you were like wild, cool. Like you had probably Doc Martens and like an oversized flannel, and then like elephant ear pants. I don't know. I don't know. It was the early nineties, and um, and it was all it was all graduate student playwrights and me. And I don't know how I got the hell into that class, but I did. And the first assignment from our playwright, our de facto playwriting teacher at the time, Michael Grady, he was substituting on the first day love him. Yeah. And he said, OK, um, there are three people in a moving vehicle. Go, write. And I was like, <gasps> struck with panic at the blank page and the really cool grad students. And I was this nerdy undergrad. And I didn't know I wasn't a, I didn't even really know what playwriting was. And I wrote based on fear and constraints and at the end of it i turned in my little play and it was really good and it's what allowed me to take a graduate level playwriting classes from that point on and it wasn't good like consciously i wasn't like oh my god i'm constructing the next great american play it was good because i didn't allow the constraints and not knowing to stop me and i didn't know any better so i just jumped in and, and wrote and it was such a great moment and exercise for moving forward with and through fear and discomfort, especially with creative expression. And so that's why I thought, I thought people who have jobs might be interested in how to move forward in fear and and discomfort at any time in any space.
1: Yes. And, and now you, you go in or okay. So before the, before the pandemic happened, you were doing speaking at companies, but there was a process that you would do right before you went in to actually speak to a group, you would go to the location of the business, right, and learn about the business. And tell me, tell me about your process. Oh, I thought
2: you meant like before I'd go and speak to like a company like Expedia, I would go in and cry and think I don't belong here and then go to the bathroom (laughs) because I felt nervous. Is that what you mean in terms of the problem? No, I'm getting it.
1: <laughs> no. Okay, but did you do that? I'd love to hear about how you um, navigate through that fear right before you go on stage as well, right? right? Because we all get like some of that, I'm an imposter. Yeah. And yeah. Well, right yeah. now,
2: the beauty is since this is all happening in our homes, I'm sitting on a toilet because I'm nervous. No, I'm getting it. <laughs> No, you know, but in in all seriousness, I've been very grateful for Green Rooms and, um, you know, I get nervous before I speak, especially when it is in front of a group of human beings who are smart, innovative and like thinking about and solving problems globally, which I have been invited on those stages like Cisco Live and Uber and all these um, sort of big companies and organizations and summits. And so, yeah, I my process is, I, it all starts with writing. And uh, because, you know, Tori and Mabel, you will now know, I mean, my since I was little, I wrote in journals. And by little, I mean like 10, 12, 13, I kept journals. And that was a safe space for me to explore and make sense of the world around me, especially because I kind of grew up in poverty and lots of like challenges. And so I wrote, I wrote all about it. So my process always begins with writing a a story and doing some research to know who that's what they taught us in playwriting school is like, who's your audience? Who are you performing for? Like, what do you hope they feel? What are they going to get out of it? Why'd you bring that prop on stage? That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense with the world that you're creating. So, you know, I I learn everything I can about the organization, what they need in that moment and um, what they hope, to feel in order to take action beyond the moment, like when I leave that company. So like Uber, I was giving a talk to a year ago and they were like, we need to accelerate and go fast and faster and faster. But like, you know, our our um, engineers are, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? It's too fast. And I told them a story about a time I had an Uber driver that was going so fast, I thought we're gonna die. And so, <laughs> and they're like, where's this going? Why do we hire her now? But, but really, <laughs> at, at the end, you know, the, the story was about a striking a balance that sometimes moving too fast, um, we make too many mistakes. And in fact, taking stock, slowing down and then, you know, moving forward uh, helps us get where we want to go without dying at the hands of an Uber driver. Um, so, yeah, I, I learn everything I can about the world that we're co-creating. And then I write a a talk and then I give the talk aloud like as if I'm going to audition for a piece and kind of walk around my house and get into my body and um approach it like I'm performing because it is a performance to me and when people are like I don't like I don't get what you really do are you a speaker and like why don't you perform you have a degree in theater and I'm like I do perform it's just that the stage is at like an innovation summit And not in like, you know, La Jolla Playhouse, (laughs) like it's the same thing. It's just a different stage. But there's definitely an audience who's ready to receive information about creative creativity and moving forward in uncertain times and spaces. And I'm happy to deliver that message.
0: How did you make that transition from theater to this corporate creativity? It makes sense to me because so I teach a theater for young audiences class for liberal arts students that are trying to be teachers, most of my students feel that um, creativity is not their strength. And they are very scared of it. I, you know, I have terrified faces on the first day. And uh, to me, that's insane, because they're like, you're going into a classroom, like create, you should like have that in your back pocket as a teacher, like it's just a no brainer. But uh, so I understand the value of creativity. But how did you find because it's a niche right this is not something that uh, well first of
2: all i love i love that you're teaching teachers creativity and also what people forget and anybody who's listening right now is there are two c's in creativity there's a small c and there's a big c and the big c and this and I'll, i'll get point to a study about it but the big c of creativity is i'm a painter i'm a dancer i'm wax philosophical i'm playwright The little sea of creativity literally means, and it's a skill that we all possess, is that we can solve old problems in new ways. Any human being alive on this earth not only has that capability within their bodies. The study is from Patricia Stokes on rats, a rodent, right? And- Did you see it? I just, yeah. think, yes,
1: you mentioned it. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, so I looked up the book and I was like, "Damn, Oh, it is? I will, I, I don't this.
2: get any proceeds from running, <laughs> But the, the the study, and I won't go into the study, look it up, Patricia Stokes rodents. Um, but basically what she proved is that animals, and guess what we are? Animals uh, have in our body, in our DNA, the instinct to solve problems and in new ways, and therefore, if we can acknowledge that we have that, that that is creativity, then we can pursue it just like learning any other skill. It's a practice. It's a process and blah, blah, blah. So I tell people, especially at companies and stuff like get over the like, I'm not a painter. I'm a um, And just know that you are creative and you can express that if you want to. And now COVID, nobody has a choice. Nobody has a choice. Every company, <laughs> human, me, I mean, all of us have had to pivot change course etc et and the more creative we are the more skills and tools we have to do that and not cry all the time but just on saturdays you know um so how i got into this but i don't even know what, it's insane i i didn't even know that public speaking yeah. was like a the thing ch- i mean i just thought that was auditioning for a a, mono, a piece like in a play or something like it's it's such a transfer of all the skills i learned in theater school to be totally honest. I'm I'm trying to think. I think like in the 90s at some point, I might have been invited to speak on a panel or something. And then I'm like, oh, through academia because of my first book about uh, enduring breast cancer. And so I got invited to speak. And so I'd speak and I didn't know what that really meant or, you know, like, I I don't know. So I just like tell stories and people seem to dig it. And then I I started looking around. I'm like, oh, people like speak for a living. Like they make money doing something I love doing. And um, and then the more that I sort of uh, work, co-created and put ideas and stories out into the world and people knew about me, the more people invited me in to give talks. And so that, I guess that the inception was the fir- my first book and speaking, and then doing book events, book signing events. Oh my God, we know, we've seen like our favorite mm-hmm. author. And and then they, they come up there and like, is the microphone working? I really don't want to focus on the book that you love so much. I'd like to yeah. focus on a new project that's really really boring and shitty and maybe you'll stay and buy it and maybe you won't I I don't I want to I want the greatest hits you know I want to, like I want to see where it came from so I started learning as an author how to give a good talk at a book event that was my first um, foray into public speaking uh, and then I just I don't know I started getting invited places and then I'm like ooh, this is, I literally make every talk for any company organization or human beings a one-person show with an audience of whomever and considering them and what they need along the way. It's a one-person show and that I'm really adept at doing because I've done it before.
1: You're a fantastic storyteller and what I see is that you make a personal connection. You take um, things that have happened to you and, and then you put them into the story format or you tell a story just like you were mentioning earlier and it kind of bridges that gap, right? that people can go, oh, oh, okay, now I see where she's going with this, right?
2: The difference between good storytelling and like whether it's public speaking or playwriting or any sort of story offering to me is the difference between therapy and offering an opportunity to connect, okay? Not gonna lie, we have our journals for therapy, we have our therapists for therapy. And so to your point, Tori, of acknowledging that I like connecting with people I've done my therapy, I got a therapist. What I really love doing is sharing something that's valuable to the person or people in front of me. That's why I'm a good storyteller because I love connecting with the humans and sharing stuff that's valuable to them as opposed to getting stuck in this sort of like centered white circle.
1: <laughs> I mean, you
2: know, like I mean, decenter. I'm a white lady. I'm decentering. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> mm. I'm going to step outside of that circle too. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> when we were in college together, You won the Jane Chambers (laughs) Award, right? And it was for your play stages. So you had the article that came out in the New York Times, which is pretty incredible. And then your play has been done... um, who even knows? I love that right? you. Uh, I
2: don't even know. You know, I was trying to think where stages yeah. is. I think it's on a floppy disk somewhere. Like I don't even know. Yes, it's the thing that launched my <laughs> writing career. And I, I, yes, but go on.
1: But then, but then mm. you wrote my one night stand with cancer, which you then turned into a one person yeah. show that you performed. What was it like to take your own work from a mm-hmm. a novel in novel format? transition that into a play and then tell mm-hmm. that story. Well, well, first of all,
2: I felt really comfortable in the role of playwright as I was coming up, having other, you know, exploring writing that was both, you know, nonfiction and then being able to fictionalize it or whatever, and having other people who are practiced and and focused on acting or performing or taking those words and making them sing. I loved that. That was awesome. I didn't have the desire to to perform on a stage in that way. And then I, I As I was writing this book called My One Night Stand with Cancer, it was a memoir about me enduring cancer two times dating boobs and losing boobs, as we know. Um, As I was actually writing the book, I had a book deal and everything. I was like, this would make a really good one person show. And I felt more facile with writing, uh, playwriting style than I did writing a book. So I'm like, I'll just adapt it as I go along. So I actually adapted it before I finished the book because it was easier for me. You know, like once you get those, your playwriting muscles they just, you don't have to overthink it. You just write mm-hmm. in that format. So I adapted into a one woman show. And I, even at that point, I was like, I'm not going to perform the one woman show. And I talked to one of my mentors, Jim Leonard, who we both had at, a, as, at one point in our lives. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, who do I get? And he's like, you have to play the person. You have to play her. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they're like, at the time, Tig Notaro hadn't lost her breasts. So there were no lesbians with no breasts who could perform the show. So I figured I have to do it. And it's, you know what, it's, it was hard. And, and I ha- was lucky enough to have a producer, AJ Epstein, who was a, we went to college with, and he got a dramaturg oh, yeah. and a director, Karis kresny mm-hmm. Love her. And we assembled this small but mighty team to help me create this one person show. And I'll tell you what, performing five nights a week, twice on Sundays for an hour and 10 minutes with no intermission, and also having it memorized it in my body so that it could be sort of colloquial or what, you know, it's, it's not my jam. Like I did, I didn't at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, it got good reviews. Like I I did it in Seattle at ACT and Mm -hmm. I had a good run and I realized that I'm better kind of putting together loose notes for moving forward and then allowing a space for things to occur spontaneously. And that's why public speaking or that form of storytelling has been really fun for me and hard in a different, challenging in a different way. So I did the, I did the one person show and I, I'm design. Um, but and also another model I would say for, for public <laughs> speaking, Mabel, is, um, was like uh, Spaulding Gray and um, Julia Sweeney. And I remember the first time I'm seeing David Sedaris on like, it was like the, the late show. I don't know if it was David Letterman or something. It was like in the nineties and he stood there on television and just told stories. And I'm like, I want to do that. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way in. It was like he had the only real estate on doing that. And so to me now what I do is what David Sedaris does. And um, I think it's wonderful. I uh, love it. I do too.
1: I loved I loved your class. Your class was wonderful. What I noticed when I took that class is it was not just artists, it was people from all different walks of life. And it was an opportunity to look at the world differently and to kind of get past whatever roadblocks you have put in front of you. And you have created a bunch of exercises to do that. And I was thinking it's similar with playwriting right sometimes we need those exercises to get out of our own way
2: yeah and i'll also give an exercise that leads into that and it's one thing for that i learned from playwriting so i remember i tim what's his name he was a visiting playwright um you know anyway mason mason okay and he i think he gave us this exercise or somebody did anyway Uh it was about like uh, the characters in your plays you have to find opposite traits for them so the ones that are sort of like villains or bad you have to find the like l- that they come from love and kindness or the ones that are like goody two shoes and kind you have to find traits that are like angry and, and find the opposite so that really the goal is and the exercise is, is to make a full character a lot of times as a young playwright I th- you know I used to think like she's just an asshole and he's just a jerk face and he's fantastic and and really we're all the things all the time. And and so I thought that was really great. And so there's an exercise I give in my book and also in my classes, which is what if the opposite were true? So a lot of times when we find ourselves getting stuck, like I can't, write a play or i can't get a book deal or i don't deserve a raise or any of that what if the opposite were true and to practice that and to actually brainstorm well then i could get a book deal Then i could you know and and in exploring if the opposite were true we always find solutions to break through those moments of fear and discomfort and so i think the the opposite game is always serves us well yeah um and so what oh i just created a five-week course for achieving a goal slash dream and i created it in five weeks because i like to take my own advice because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it had been a goal of mine to create an online course it's called <laughs> creative trespassing the map but that's um do it yourself online so it exists and i made videos that are fantastic uh and it takes you through a process of admitting that you have a dream that you have something in your body that you've been wanting to do and you've been putting it off And why are you putting it off? Let's get to the root of that. Okay, now that we got to the root, let's do some mindset stuff so that you can overcome it and take flight. And and then there are checkpoints. And one thing that has been really foundational in the creative trespassing, the map, is this concept of do one thing versus no thing because i know both of you are overachievers like myself Mm -hmm. and you know so many times we're like okay i want to write a play i want to launch a podcast i want to do that and i want to do and then we end up doing nothing and um because we're overwhelmed and that's fair enough and so what i found and what i do in in the course is literally you have to do one thing a day and people are like oh what and then they're like oh my god it's so freeing and i'm actually getting stuff done and it's cumulative i mean this is why you don't write a play in a day you write a scene and then the next day you write another scene and then at the end of two weeks you have an entire play you know and then you can look back and see the themes and all that and make adjustments so that's that's what I, i i launched creative trespassing map and then one more thing um i
1: started a membership Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that today. Go to www.tanyakatan, which is spelled T A N I A K A T A N dot com, and sign up for her weekly emails, which are wonderful and inspiring. Yeah.
2: So I wanted to create a space like I, when I used to curate storytellers at the lit lounge at a museum where I'd bring in all these amazing human beings that I had access to that I had the privilege of meeting around the world storytellers New York Times bestselling authors thought leaders all the humans and so I want to do that and also coaching in real time and also give people weekly creative inspirational tools prompts and exercises to keep their motivation and energy high with achieving their goals. So it's a monthly membership. Uh, And that's what I wanted to do because I had so many people on my list who are like, I can't afford $400 or this. And so I just wanted to listen and say, okay, fine. Here's another offering. Um, Yeah. So, so if you get on my list before the 19th, it's $19 a month for again, thought leaders, coaching in real time, creative inspiration in your inbox. And, And in a forum, like a, like a Facebook kind of forum, but you don't have to be on Facebook because people have issues with Facebook. <laughs> I've addressed
1: that. Booyah, Zuckerberg. Yeah. So what What type of plays um, light you up? You know, like what, what, what do you like to go see or what do you watch? God,
2: it's been so long since I've seen a play. But mm-hmm. I know. But however, I like absurdism a bunch. I like uh, magical reality I like sh- I like when two different things are happening at the same time. I like tension and chaos. I don't like straight theater anymore like I, I and and actually because I married a visual artist uh, who teaches contemporary art, I really like contemporary art and I like um this contemporary art has found spaces to perform that aren't so literal and I like that a lot I'm trying to think the, the last time I This is where it's like you're at the record store and you're like, oh, I I can't remember. I wish I had my list of
1: plays I've seen. Where did we have we seen anything together? When I came to town several years ago, we watched some other storytellers. We went to Space 55, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 And we watched other storytellers. And then, of course, the storytellers that you had up at, um, at the Lit Lounge, and that was really great. But that, again, that was one person telling a story, and I, I, I find that quite riveting. I like that.
2: I love that yeah. too, and I think it's like for my attention span. Uh, it's why I like reading books uh, short stories, is because if I'm not really into it, then I know like there's another one right around the corner. And I was just uh, looking up uh, the last thing, the last performance I saw was probably six months ago at the Phoenix Art Museum. Um, Martin Creed who comes from visual art but he, he, he he's a one-man extravaganza. Um, He's wa- he's wild. I just like people who are. Ex- ex- I just want to feel something at the end of whatever, whether it's a storyteller or, or performer, more formally. And I find that with monologues because I come from writing. It's kind of like filmmakers going to see a film and they're like, "Oh, the lighting is horrible," you know. I I find that like I know what's going to happen <laughs> in the story if it's just if it's a quote unquote straight story, straight narrative. I know what's going to happen next. So like. It's not really. You want a
1: surprise. I you love being surprised. Surprise. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned your wife Angela. Yeah, I don't think you said her name, but Angela Ellsworth is an artist. She is an incredible human being as well. And Tanya, you and Angela have a workshop that you do. I am hoping that it, that this that it comes back because Mabel and I have been talking about going. We would like to join you on your next uh trip so
0: wait is this the workshop that is across the pond? yeah
1: so can you talk can you talk about that i i just i love angela too well she she okay so she runs something
2: called the museum of walking you heard me right Museum of walking yeah it sounds absurd but guess what I just said I like absurdity um, so it's both like a real museum but it doesn't exist in a space it exists in the world because walking is something that we can all do anywhere we are and there's a rich history of artists who use the body as material walking in the landscape um, Francis Elise and uh, I'm, I'm gonna get my like I, I, lots of others um so anyway she and I, she did i'm going to talk about her workshop in italy because we don't know what's going to happen with uh, with our collective one so we're just gonna put that aside for now um she okay. did a workshop um that it was walking in the same the same path that uh saint francis of assisi walked and where he and and i decided to take it as a participant and it was about it was meditative it was also about Um, silence or listening, sorry, not silence, listening, which is very different. It's like silence is like shutting up and waiting for your term to speak and listening is shutting up. (laughs) Um, so, so it was, um, it was like every day we walked about six hours, we ended up doing like 50 miles or something and we'd stay in a a refuge for pilgrims every night. And I thought that would be kind of like, Oh, that's uncomfortable. It was fantastic. Had the best burger in, in the world, bar none. I, I came for the, the saints, but I stayed for the burgers. I'm telling you, it was so good. Um, And it was great, it was a time, so we were walking together as this small-ish group in 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 listening to Nate. And there was nowhere like we had to be except for where we had to be in the evening, but there was no rush. Um, we ha- got good exercise, but there was something about walking as a group, being together and having the rhythm of footsteps and all of that, and not having to make small talk with people you don't know from around the world. And then just arriving somewhere and being in the most beautiful, like bucolic uh, landscape you've ever been in. That was astounding. I'm like, I want to do this every year. So she was supposed to do it this year, but um, obviously based on the vid, uh, she she's we're planning on doing it this next summer, 2021 summer. Um, and so she would have, we would do sometimes writing exercises in silence slash listening. And um, I loved it. After years, you know, you both are teachers of writing and all that stuff. And at some point, the best writing that we do is when we get really quiet. And we do the work, and a lot of the times we spend is actually like tap dancing around what we need to be doing, you know. Especially those of us who are performers too. So and we ended up at um, the 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 famous place where Saint Francis gives his sermon, and all the animals come from around, you know, to to listen to him. And as we're walking to this part of the forest, like the part where they're like, we know Saint Francis was right here. The weather changed. And I'm not, I'm Jewish and I'm, and also I'm not really, I'm not religious at all. Um, and we were like, and we were, we couldn't talk. So we were just like keeping that inside until we could, we could break our, our silence. And then we're like, oh my God, did you feel how it
0: got cooler? And then did you see that little bird that came out? Oh my God.
2: It's transformative stuff.
0: So six hours a day. And and it's then there's no chit chat. You're just walking. No, in. so we have
2: so we have like a noble silence. So about so we'll take a break. Obviously, we're not walking six hours, away. so we'll take a, a breaks, share snacks, and we'll have a lunch break somewhere in the forest. All of a sudden, a blanket arrives from nowhere, and all of a sudden, pecorino is there, and all of a sudden, your sandwich is there, and all of a sudden, you're like, what? And then we, they sort of <laughs> ring a bell and then we, we can talk. Um, and sometimes we didn't feel like talking and sometimes we did and whatever. But it allowed for a more natural rhythm to occur as opposed to us feeling or being like conditioned to have to like say what you do for a living or like, you right. know, connect or, you know, I don't know, like a hustle or whatever. It was just a real natural way of being with other people. And yeah. So, yes, there was talking. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't talk. I got to hurry up and get away and shut up it was, wasn't
0: like <laughs> i i feel that i get most anxious in these awkward silences and i've been at meals that where it was just quiet. And I I think it's the times that I've experienced the most anxieties. I'm like, what am I, all I'm thinking about is what am I supposed to say? Well, so I like this idea that you're supposed to not say anything.
2: Right, as opposed to going into a situation where you're told it's social and then nobody's talking. I used to get like, oh my God, especially going to visual art spaces, like I love me some visual artists, but holy shit, Talk about contrast compared to theater people. Theater people are like, "Is that the microphone? I'm gonna take it. Oh my god, it's mine! It's my shut up let me one up you. I'm not one upping you. I'm just being me. You know, I'm like, oh my god." Whereas artists are like, "Hey, is that the bar?" <laughs> you know, like, and so I, I felt that kind of pressure and anxiety from, because I'm, I'm obviously, I'm an extrovert and I feel pretty comfortable and confident at this point in my life talking to people. And so when, when it's a social situation and people aren't talking, then I'm like, but now I've realized from all my like, uh, like meditation and practicing being quiet. Um, I've realized I don't need to fill the space, which is awesome. So yeah. And then I can go to the bar faster, whatever. <laughs> It's fine.
1: <laughs> we do a little a little question called asking for a friend. Okay. Yes. Um. How do you feel about ums? Um, I
2: like them. I don't want to discriminate against ums. You know, what I'm saying like that's not cool.
1: I'm not an umist. So, if you. If you if you were a flavor, what flavor would you be and why?
2: Flav, I'd be flavor flaved. No. <laughs> because I want to wear a clock around my neck. And then maybe I'll be more on time. What time? No, I'm very on time. If I was a flavor, any flavor? Any flavor. I don't know. I would be double marshmallow and <laughs> vanilla. Florida. Oh. I, I would, if you were a flavor, I don't know. I'd, I was going to say something disgusting. So I'll just air with marshmallow delight.
1: Okay, so why? Why do you choose marshmallow delight? Because I got a little chubby in the vid. <laughs> we all we all <laughs> we all have. Wait, are you talking like marshmallow fluff that stuff you buy in the jar? No, I'm talking about
2: conceptual flavor that your friend asked about. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm not getting literal. (laughs) Um, I just, I just talking about it as a larger, like if I was a flavor, it would be all of me. That was the flavor. And I said, would it say fluffy Marshall Delight fantasy number 54? I think is the more accurate. (laughs) Tanya, are you wearing pants? How do you mean? now yes yes I am (laughs) I can tell you if that's important
1: if that's important to you (laughs) it's okay I'm wearing a onesie it's all good not that you've asked well I could see you in your closet (laughs) I know well it was too echo we moved we moved and the room I was in was way too echoey so I had to do a little shifting I am In the closet today so is there I I think it would be fantastic if you could leave our moms with a with a formal prompt okay
2: okay so I'm gonna take I'm just I opened up to whatever page in my book to give a prompt awesome Um, so it's a random page and I know what this one is um so okay so moms and and other human beings who are listening, um, jot down all the stuff you do, you love doing at your job or for your work, all the stuff you love doing. And I mean the extra stuff, the stuff that actually enlivens you, the reason why sometimes if you're like, I hate my job, but you love going in, those things. Then write down your actual responsibilities at work. So two columns, one, jot down all the stuff you really love doing, the stuff that makes you feel alive and those around you, and then two, a column with the stuff that you have to do, because it's your job. And then you're going to come up with a job title based on purpose, rather than some crappy, rigid job title that your boss gave you. Take one from column A, one from column B. So I see you writing, Mabel. What are some things that you love doing as part of your J-O-B? Love, and that enliven you and the students
0: um I love motivating my students okay um I love creating materials okay with good design great Tori knows about that and um I I love introducing new things to them so new ideas new art new anything that gets me excited I love sharing it with them
2: great and then now what are some of your more sort of rigid or typical job responsibilities
0: uh grading papers Okay. Tracking attendance.
2: Okay. Okay. So your new job title is, it could be motivational grader. Bam. All right. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or if you really want to get in trouble, it could be um, creator of fluid grading. Um, yeah. Tori, what do you got? Oh, I didn't write anything down. That's okay. What do you, what do you love doing as part of your, your, the work you do in the world?
1: Um, inspiring others to tell their stories. Okay. And what are some of the,
2: like, that's, that's a good meaty one. What are some of the things that you're just part of your responsibilities in order to be able to do that?
1: Paperwork. Okay.
2: What kind of paperwork?
1: It, it, it kind of falls in line with what Mabel was saying, grading or just the, um, Reports, reports, yeah. Okay. You could be the
2: storytelling reporter. So, you know, but but really what, what's really fun about this exercise is for moms and other is that, you know, this is what we do as artists, creatives and creators. We take two seemingly dis- disparate things, we put them together and we come up with new meaning. And it's an exercise actually funny enough that I've done with thousands of people. I think I might have even done it at the conference that – um that you saw me speak at a manufacturing conference. And it empowers people to think, I know, right? I get invited to do like the craziest things. It's like people who manufacture, I don't even know, like tractors and the parts that make a tractor. Ta-da. But the same skills are required to manufacture, engineer that we learned as playwrights. You got to communicate clearly to your intended audience. You have to create something that didn't exist before. You have to make sure it runs smoothly. I mean, like it's all the stuff that transfers over. Um, so anyway, this coming up with your new job title on purpose. A lot of times when we feel like, oh, I have this job and I hate it. And then I'm also the manager of like, that's just talk about hating something twice. So when I was working at a museum, they wanted to call me like program coordinator. I mean, seriously, program coordinator, what do I do? Open accordion doors for bar and bomb mitzvahs? Like that's the lamest. And I'm here, I'm supposed to go. My job was to go to conferences and speak and represent a really dynamic performance space as a program coordinator. So I came up with my own job title, curator of shenanigans, and I made business cards. Moms, you can afford to make a business card, make a new business card. People, I gave out that one. I didn't give out my program coordinator. People remembered me and wanted to engage, and I represented my organization in a really powerful way. So it's a, it's a fun exercise, and it seems to enliven a lot of humans.
1: And it, it and it could be amended for moms or retired uh, oh, people, right? Totally. It could be like what it, what is what are the jobs that you have to do at home, yeah. like things that you consider work? Yeah, because that is your work, right? So yeah, inspirational yeah. retiree or like dope
2: dope smoking gated community. <laughs> I've read all the books about about retirees and. The kind of lives you're living now and all i can say is put your keys in the bowl i know i know what you're doing and i support you this is a safe space we're not judging you
1: (laughs) and i have to say for anyone out there even if you're not wanting to be inspired please Get the get the book Creative Trespassing because it is in digestible chunks, right? So um, each each chapter could be like an its own freestanding um, exercise because at the end Tanya gives you prompts. It's fun. It's funny. I enjoyed reading it so much, and I felt like I was just sitting and having a cup of coffee with you. Oh you know? Okay. Yeah. Thanks,
2: story. Uh-huh. Well, and in in fact, I just did a podcast yesterday, not as good as no, this one, no. of course. Um <laughs> But I just did. And, and the, the guy had read my book, uh, uh, probably when it came out a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And um he's like, I just read it recently in the COVID moment. And I realized, oh, my gosh, it's so amazing in this moment. And I'm seeing it and the information in a really different way. Because at the root of it, Tori, and to your point, it's about seeing everyday life, symbols, jobs, as, uh, as extraordinary and not ordinary. And so when you would have that ability to see the ordinary as extraordinary, that transcends space, time, certainty, you can do it all the time. So it's, uh, yeah, I was really happy to hear that, um, that the book has value in a different and um, equal way now. So, plus it's a memoir oh, yes. that I, I it's, a, it's a memoir that I stuck, I snuck into a business book and that was a really important part of getting it published i had um a, a lot of publishers who were interested in in acquiring the book and um some of them were uh, more creativity focused publishers some were business and i needed it to be business imprint because that to me was the ultimate sneakery <laughs> um of 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 like oh this is actually a memoir that's fun and it happens to be a business book
0: how subversive of you
2: <laughs> thank you very much <laughs>
1: Well, that's a, and and the title, Creative Trespass Scene, says it all. Yeah, she is the ultimate creative trespasser, I will say. (laughs) Thanks, lady, ladies.
0: All right. All right. Tanya, I was not prepared to laugh as much as I I did. I don't think I've laughed like this in a long time, so I appreciate that, thank you so much.
1: We both needed it. Me too, thank you guys.
0: Oh my gosh, Tori, what just happened?
1: Tanya Katan just happened.
0: Holy moly. What do you a see? Y-
1: but do you see why I was at a loss for words when I was introducing her? She is, she's just delightful. She's awesome. Um, so easy to talk to, smart, intuitive, funny.
0: Uh, yes uh truly truly amazing i think she was a wonderful guest to have i'm super excited about her book i'm definitely going to order it so it's creative trespassing we will put all of this information on the show notes including a link to her website and um
1: there's a there's a membership that you can sign up for you can do it through her website there's a link that will take you to that
0: perfect so we'll put all that information on there on the on the show notes so remember if you have not done so um rate and review our show
1: like us on facebook follow us on instagram follow us on twitter we are on most of the social platforms if we have left one out or if you know of another podcast platform that we aren't currently on please shoot us an email at heyplaywright at gmail.com and let us know and We have a show coming up.
0: We have a live show coming up. That's exciting. October 24th at 7 p.m. We are going to be doing our five-minute Frights Festival. And it's 7 p.m. Pacific time. But you can get more information about that on our website, heyplaywright.com. So we look forward. That should be a great show. We're super excited about that. And, um, yeah. And so for now... Go try out um, the exercises that Tanya left for us. They're wonderful exercises. I'm excited. I'm actually going to try them out with my students.
1: Oh, and pick up her book because that those were just a few of her exercises. There, it's chock full of them. So pick it up, and you will have plenty to do over the next several months.
0: That's awesome. Yes, great. All right, Tori. So that uh, that about does it for this. Uh, this marshmallow of an episode. Oh
1: my gosh. Yes.
0: <laughs> Vegan. So until next time.
1: Keep writing.
0: Keep writing. Bye. Bye.